0: welcome, hello, uh, this is Radio zaza, uh, short for radio zaddy, and this is the queer question, mecca we 're going to talk about the queerness in life that you weren 't told about before
1: Queer lens on the everyday world exactly
0: mm-hmm. uh, what's it, it's not, what's the we 're not pinkwashing because it 's not fake we 're requeering mm. like rewilding but requeering you can rewild at the same time like they 're <laughs> not mutually exclusive but still regardless um Daisy how are you
1: I'm very good thank you we're on to episode four I know we're quite, doing
0: quite well quite exciting yeah last last week I was um a bit stressed uh doing uh doing work uh, but now I feel like sort of getting into a bit more of a rhythm of we're it on top of it yeah I feel like I was on top of it this week that's <laughs> to be found but you know anyway how, how's I think things? we um last week we
1: mentioned that we'd been into the office once
0: yeah yeah that's true have have you've l- been back have I been back I think I oh my god how time flies when you're in <laughs> lockdown yep. um i think hang on i think i went back and i found the donut that i'd left the previous <laughs> like the previous week because i tried to give it to my colleague because i bought four and i'd eaten there's three no donuts sharing anymore. No, well no in 2020 yeah i ate three and then i handed her the packet i was like do you want a donut and she was like yes yes so i handed it over <laughs> and then i went back last week and i was like hang on a second there's my donut i could have eaten that i could have had all four and um, so i was a bit annoyed but i am due to go back tomorrow and I'm going to get, okay, this is, it's been a long saga, this whole lockdown, I've been without my glasses, because they're locked in the office of another building that I no longer work for. Um, so I've been like, furiously emailing them or not furiously, but I've been regularly emailing them <laughs> like, are you going back yet? Can I go in yet? Can I get my glasses yet? Please can I have my glasses? Because I can't see and I'm having mm-hmm, headaches. Mm-hmm. And they were like, no. <laughs> Not allowed. Uh, so tomorrow, I've organised to go and get my glasses from the uh, the other building, coordinating with an old colleague to get okay. those bags. So I'm, oh, I'm so pleased. <laughs> Are you going back? this week oh no, I don't no? think
1: I'm, I've been in once and I grabbed kind of you know the necessities from my desk uh, a couple of cables and a pink wig that was in my in my oh desk yeah drawer. Necessities. you know definitely wouldn't want to wouldn't want to lose that wouldn't want to be parted with that for no, too you long the time and emotion in that exactly you know six months is too long um there's already been a covid case um at my office so it's just another there
0: only two of you though in the office yeah there
1: was but so there's some production people downstairs and, ah. um, and one of the cleaners unfortunately had a, had confirmed um covid 19. So uh, again, once again, probably won't be, probably won't be heading in any no. soon. Got my pink wig.
0: No, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I've been sort of, um, I've been mourning. So obviously last week I spoke about uh, teenagers and like youth culture and, you know, I've been mourning the, the idea of, you know, parties and, um, okay. I've been thinking a lot about you know, going out and, you know, obviously the news is kind of skewed to say that yeah, young people are the devils and that, you know, they are the demise of society and the they've devils. been they're devils um, and they've been going out and partying and now everyone's going to die again. And which I, you know, obviously don't, don't agree with. So, uh, so I started, um, so I did some research mm-hmm. and this, this week I uh, was researching house music and, um, and sort of the club scene. And actually, um, I didn't know this, but it actually has a very rich queer history. Mm. And actually, queer people of colour um, more or less invented house music. And the origins are very deeply rooted in, um, in queer history, which I thought was very cool. That's
0: really cool. Um,
1: and basically, it was there in, back in August, it was the, I think it was the birthday of um, Frankie Knuckles, who was an um, American DJ based in Chicago. And actually, house music got its name after um, the Warehouse, which was a gay club in Chicago where Frankie Knuckles, uh, Frankie, Frankie Knuckles, Frankie Knuckles, uh, <laughs> where Frankie Knuckles uh, was a resident DJ from 1977 um, until like the early '80s. That's really cool. So I was like, "Hey, a gay, a gay guy, uh, intro- you know, introduced um, introduced house music." Yeah. And then I did a bit more research and like. Basically, it was, so he was inducted into the LGBT Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, he It was him and another an, another fella called uh, Larry Levin. And um, so they first gained popularity in the mid-70s mm-hmm. in New York's infamous Continental Baths, which is exactly... Baths or baths?
0: Baths. baths. Oh, yeah. oh, as in baths. Baths. Sorry. Yeah,
1: baths. Uh, for any of the... Uh,
0: Northerns, <laughs> I yeah, northern or
1: in the room. Uh, the pair honed their craft among the steam rooms, swimming pools, and private rooms, which soon expanded its dance floor offering. So, hang on, hang on. What craft were they honing? DJing. The oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. I was just, I just so these went a two different guys way. <laughs> and they're, you know, they've got the perfect crowd. You know, they've got super relaxed, hedonistic, mm-hmm. um, you know, party goers who have, you know, just had a just had a, a sauna and a steam room and a little swim and are dancing sometimes in their towels sometimes completely nude. nude sometimes you know in their best evening attire really yeah so um wow, what a mix so it was a great you know really it, and i would have loved party to, to be there it just sounds fantastic um, and it attracted, you know, so the Continental Baths attracted guests such as Alfred Hitchcock, Andy Warhol, Mick Jagger. You really? Know, some, you know, it wasn't exclusively um, for the homosexuals. <sighs>
0: homosexuals? But, um, I don't know. Maybe they would, dab- maybe they dabbled.
1: Well, maybe, you know, and they just they took in the the atmosphere, and you know,
0: it was a place where people could be sort of
1: free, and you could appreciate
0: you know. queer culture without being queer. <laughs> That's absolutely- allowed.
1: Yeah. If you're Andy Warhol um, and Mick Jagger, you can, you know, you got to know where it's at. Exactly. So as well as, you know. As well as, you know, as well as the, the great DJs that they uh, attracted, the Continental Baths were known for exquisite live performance as well, um, mm-hmm. including performances from Bette Midler or Bathhouse Betty, as she was known, <laughs> which is great, which is fantastic. Um, really you know, it was them. a hub and the, and the Continental was, was a hub for gay nightlife, you know, staple venue of yeah. freedom and expression, regardless of your sexuality, but very much propped up by, um, you know, you can just picture it can't you it just sounds absolutely just, fantastic well that's the
0: thing is like I'm trying but I, I don't know if I can put all of those things <laughs> into one scenario like nudity and like towels and bathrooms yes <laughs> but then also people fully dressed and DJing mm. and dancing I'm just I'm getting some disparate like not disparity, some cognitive dissonance where I'm mm. trying to merge the two yeah
1: so this is so this is yeah so Frankie Knuckles that was where you know, that's where he started kind of, you know, started his career with um, with Larry Levan and they built this kind of, you know, they they worked there as re- resident DJs for like a number of years. And that was where they uh, like originally started. And that's I think so Larry cool. stayed um, and then Frankie Knuckles went to Chicago and opened up uh, the warehouse, which mm. is where like house music was born. And it was originally, the warehouse was originally a members only club, Mm -hmm. and it was uh, extremely popular, almost exclusively with uh, black and Latino men, you know, for the queer people of colour in Chicago during the 70s and 80s, like many of these underground clubs were sort of the only place of safety. Yeah. Um, And this community was built on the shoulders of Frankie Knuckles, um, of his dedication to music and the genre of house in particular. Was Frankie
0: Knuckles black? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, he was a, he was a black man. And... You know, always stayed true to, you know, the roots of house music, you know, the sampling like soul Mm. and funk and, you know, traditionally kind of black artists. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, even when the kind of more, you know, electronic synth pop arrived from Europe in the 80s, like he really, you know, stuck to his, did not steer from his roots um, and the style that he'd actually developed in New York during those years at the Continental Baths. So that that was quite nice, um, really and it cool. really solidified him as the godfather of house music that we celebrate today. Nice. He did eventually leave the warehouse, and that was pretty much because um, you know the club's demographic became gradually straighter, gradually whiter. Um, you know, they doubled the entrance fee, mm. um, which kind of made made the space a bit more upmarket or seemed to be a bit more upmarket. And, yeah, I was going to say is
0: that like with its increasing popularity and fame, did like straight like richer, richer straight people just try to get in and squeeze yeah. out the the original like queer people of color yeah and
1: you know and that happens you know it happens so much now right mm. when you know door fees get increased it does mean that pe- you know queer people right? and, and people of color and you know the outcasts who need those spaces of safety and, and expression kind of get you know yeah so yeah they see know, we out. have it and
0: they want it and it's unfair <laughs> they take it from us
1: yeah, and obviously the queer, you know, the queer circles are pretty, pretty banging, and
0: yeah, just because your straight parties are lame.
1: <laughs> anyway, he went, um, he went, and he started his own club. Um, cool, and it was called the Power Plant. Damn. Um, because so house music's attitude uh, was always one for ele- elevating black and queer bodies. Mm. House music drew deeply from funk and soul, and quickly became a scene created for the marginalised to congregate safely underground and to dance with joy and abandon. <gasps> and this, you know 70s gay abandon like, yes say. gay abandon <laughs> uh, these clubs provided a space for you know verbal and non-verbal conversation about what it really meant to be queer mm. um and you know just all those if you've ever had like you know a really great night when you've just danced and you know that feeling of just being absolutely free yeah you
0: know was unjudged and yeah, just like yeah. part of it yeah you know? yeah and the crowds really cool.
1: you know you can just you can just picture it and that was a real you know place of refuge i think mm. for marginalized bodies and especially you know you think about queer and queer and black queer and latino you know mm. um and this is you know before the aids you know aids epidemic and you know the kind of golden years of just being totally free and you know very sexual i assume and all the accounts
0: are we can know, super <laughs> super yeah, um, just having having a really liberated time yeah um, where you could and because not even though even though like these amazing parties were going on it didn't mean that pe- that like queer people weren't being discriminated against in their day-to-day lives mm. like this was a place of refuge and yeah. they were enjoying it to the full and then the yeah. AIDS epidemic came along and ruined everything but
1: yeah um so i've got a nice quote here from from another chicago dj at the mm. time um called jesse saunders and um he said being isolated makes you look within to see what actually moves you that is house music
0: mm. so i was like yeah oh, that's really cool um
1: so part of my research this week was just listening to a lot of really great house music uh, having yeah. a disco in my room so another pinnacle event that uh, began as an invite only house party in new york was the infamous dance nights that took place in the loft so mm-hmm. again you know the loft the warehouse house um and uh, these were these were hosted uh by david mancuso who um started these like, utopian private parties and he actually started on Valentine's Day in 1970 so Whoa. super early. Yeah. Um and he he said like he thoroughly enjoyed selecting long records that would encourage his dancers to lose themselves mm. in the music, leaving their leaving behind their everyday selves,
0: which is lovely. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> I remember being in a in a, a club. Like I don't I don't remember where it was, but I just remember that the tracks were going on for so long that I couldn't really because they were longer than conventional songs mm. I couldn't really tell how much time was passing and so I was just dancing and dancing and, and like I wasn't even I wasn't drinking at that time mm. so um I hadn't had a drink for like months but um and I just remember really yeah losing myself in that club and in the dance in dancing with my friends just and just being like dance. it's just an amazing thing so moving into 1979,
1: just jump, jump ahead. Yeah. Um, so just as mainstream disco started to be hitting its peak uh, came the backlash, the inevitable backlash, which was uh, called the anti-disco movement, essentially a racist, homophobic pile of trash instigated by someone called Steve Dahl. Essentially just a disc jockey with a grudge who was fired from his Chicago radio station because um, it all got too disco um, and subsequently began to slaughter his own career in music. By attempting to abolish disco.
0: So he was trying to abolish disco because he didn't play enough disco?
1: He hated that, you know, he was a bit of a, you know, he was just a, kind of a, he was a white guy and he... Uh,
0: Did he feel left out?
1: I guess he didn't, you know, he thought it was all just too much. I think maybe it was, he just didn't understand it.
0: Mm. Um, Is it like he, people who were like, oh, this pop all sounds the same I these days? I think he latched
1: it on to some more, you know, darker, yeah.
0: Darker, more racist, racist, homophobic, yeah. yeah. All yeah. of that.
1: Okay. And, you know, even... Um, so the slogan for the kind of anti-disco movement was, um, you know, a direct slur towards the gay community who had dominated the scene. Um, it was disco sucks, you know, a bit tongue in cheek, quite literally. It was widely available on t-shirts, bumper stickers, and he organized this like demolition night where they just, they, you know, destroyed loads of disco records. Um, and he was doing this on the air as well before he got fired. Oh my Um, you know, real kind of real bee in his bonnet. Sounds like he had a lot
0: of things that he needed to work out yeah, beyond this, right? Exactly. It sounds like there is something else going on there. So,
1: to the age-old, frequently Googled question, "Who killed disco?" The answer looks like Steve Dahl. So he had so he organised this disco demolition night in nineteen seventy nine, and it didn't detonate the dance scene, but it did. It is kind of picked, like pinned as the the night where you know disco disco died, and I, I kind of I want to kind of challenge that. Um, Because from the research I did, it seemed that disco had kind of been, you know, seemed to be losing its connection to the queer community at its roots um, in favor of the more kind of dance pop style, Mm. which um, had become more popular, you know, during the 80s, catering to more straighter, you know, straight or cis gay male audiences. Mm -hmm. Essentially, you know, not not queer brown bodies that had been previously kind of you had kind of built it. So, you know, instead of mis- admitting defeat, the wider disco genre and the branch of house music in particular didn't die. It uh, adapted, I would mm-hmm. argue. Yeah. So in the 80- late 80s, 90s, with the arrival of uh, the Roland TB-303 synthes- synthesizer, uh, the sound of Acid House began. Whoa. Um, and that's the kind of, you know, the Roland TB-303 uh, produced that kind of wet, squelchy
0: bass line. Yeah, kind of like, oh okay yeah yeah that
1: kind of bass line that just sounds I think a bit that like
0: a bit bouncy rather than squelchy yeah
1: and it's kind of that you know so a lot of house music is built on those kind of repetitive instrumental you know it kind of be a you know drum machine and and mixed with you know some of those vocals and samples um from the kind of funk and soul yeah yeah um Anyway, so that kind of, so that arrived and it kind of meant that acid house was suddenly kind of cool and, you know, illegal raves were cropping up all across the UK uh, and it looked like the parties were still being catered towards society's outcasts. Mm. You know, the original Chicago house DJs such as Knuckles uh, were finding there was plenty of appetite in in the UK and in Europe, uh, keeping the record sales up and their gig bookings in high demand. Um, I have another quote here, um, and this is from uh, d j Francis Grasso, and he says, You needed a crowd that was limber enough, straight people were clumsy and had no rhythm, whereas gay <laughs> men were right on. they moved their hips, their bodies, and their arms, and the faster the music got, the crazier they reacted um, that's really which I thought cool. was, quite yeah, nice. yeah, I was yeah, like really yeah cool. you know, it doesn 't matter that the you know the audiences were becoming straight and whiter because the djs themselves were looking for the 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 gay crowd yeah the gay they were crowd a, the queer, they be, were the
0: crowd they were responding in a way that was more pleasing as a yeah. DJ to see your audience actually dancing yeah well. yeah it makes me think because uh, we just we just watched that uh, the film Pride didn't mm-hmm. we in the scene where they're all in the uh, the working man's club the miners club and oh, he's the guy the big tall muscular guy just starts dancing with all the women yeah. and the straight <laughs> guys are all on the edge like oh oh, okay <laughs> and start like asking him for dance lessons because yeah. I realized that like having rhythm is good yeah and being you gotta able to dance, dance you know hips, that's how you meet people it's not and... non-manly to do that yeah you know
1: yeah it's hyper manly um <laughs> but so that I think that you know there does seem to be a problem with erasure when it comes to the history of house music um these days certainly I didn't I thought house music was kind of you know this very european you know maybe kind of was born in like a warehouse in Berlin Mm. by some like you know German hipsters kind of thing And actually like you know I was very um you know I was kind of embarrassed to find out that it actually has this really rich queer black history that's sort of not really spoken about as much
0: yeah um
1: and it's you know it's troubling that a lot of the um its strengths are attributed to the 80s europop and you know the more western westernized notions of dance culture um rather than and i think that's where the distinguish yeah distinguish needs to be made between house and kind of disco so disco you know that kind of maybe did die a death but house music was very because it stayed true to its roots it still was catered for the people who needed it most mm. and so okay so here's an example of something kind of okay. shocking that i found so the first record to feature lyrics about being an out and proud gay man Came from the musical performer Charles Valentino Harris. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of the name? Nope, nope. Um, and he released um, "I Was Born This Way," which includes the lyrics "I'm happy, I'm carefree, and I'm gay." Yeah. Um, and the singer hollers over soulf- soulful instrumentation, and it was you know the original record was distributed by Motown record label. It then later inspired the tremendously popular pride anthem. Born This Way by none yeah. other than notorious gay icon Lady Gaga. Yeah, I was
0: thinking that. Yep. like, the, Like the same title.
1: It is, yeah, it's, uh, it's...
0: Has she acknowledged it as a tribute? Valentino isn't credited at all. Oh, what? Which I what? kind of
1: find very... Oh, it just makes me sad. You know, this great, you know, soulful, like the vocals and, you know, this this piece of history. Um, yeah,
0: and also like Gaga, will yeah, she knows that. And she knows yeah. that she's a, an icon for the gay community, like it feels like it's an she opportunity should, yeah. to, to
1: not erase but to, to really kind of you know raise up yeah this this piece of history anyway yeah. a, so Man. that was you know and I think so nowadays the UK clubbing scene in particular I think um, is dominated by straight white bodies uh, but that doesn't mean there's a lack of interest from the queer community mm. but instead that the queer club nights um, have experienced a shift towards more sort of diy venues yeah you know more diverse lineups of entertainment the rise of spaces dedicated to people of color to trans and non-binary audiences inclusion of drag and live performance opening a club night that's very common i think in queer nights it's that kind of mixed bill um
0: yeah i've been to a few nights where like you go you sort of have a drink and you watch a performance of mm -hmm. drag queen um and then they're like all right now dance and then the music starts and you're like okay (laughs) go go (laughs) exactly
1: yeah i think and this and i think this can be seen as queers like returning to that kind of no rules mm. um, nature no healing. Rules, rules, the which, queers which,
0: are returning to the clubs. Yeah, you know that
1: like, no rules like you're in the continental baths in the in the seventies and yeah. there are no rules. Like you're in your towel, great. You're Andy Warhol, that's fine. Yeah, like,
0: <laughs> whoever you are. Yeah, you're
1: Bette Midler having a having a nice time. Bathhouse bath Betty. Bathhouse <laughs> Betty, I love it. Um, oh man. And I think you know building spaces for those once again left outside of the mainstream. You know there is a rise in that, and I think this diy queer club night culture um it can be seen in nights such as um there's a night called oh one four one in glasgow mm-hmm. high hoops and Homo Electric in manchester chapter 10 and big dark energy in london just oh, to name a few i feel like i've
0: been to Homo Electric before i just, went to uni manchester so i'm fairly sure i did go yeah there were a
1: few <laughs> ones in manchester by the sounds of it um that all sounded great and very much about that kind of you know that diverse, um, mm. you know, very inclusive uh, lineup, and you know, w- very welcoming spaces. Yeah. And so those are a few, uh, and these are places where queer audiences flock for energy um, and for inclusivity, yeah. proving once again uh, the restorative power of community events, especially for the queer and QTPOC community. So what you know? How does queer clubbing look in
0: 2020? It doesn't really. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's uh, it's been a bit of a been a bit of a year mm. so most of those you know underground sanctuaries have been forced to close their doors indefinitely there are a few venues that have been able to adapt into expanding into you know warehouse spaces or moving the party outside um which is kind of it's quite nice it's like moved more towards the traditional you know the warehouse the loft mm. you know private parties. bigger spaces right yeah, yeah. yeah um club nights such as big dyke energy um have had to adapt Previously occupying a warehouse space in South Burbank, the now car park rave, hailed for its famous kind of no rules approach, has been forced to keep at least some guidelines <laughs> uh, to meet social distancing measures. The recent night titled "Fuck 2020" was operating yeah. at fifty percent capacity. Uh, this, alongside the decision to keep entry prices low, which mm. you know by the way is a vital accessibility factor, I believe, for queer community events. Yeah, definitely. It meant that while you know the event, while sold out. Would run at a loss. Yeah. So this is, you know, the commitment that you know promoters and club nights are are looking to, you know, accept Mm. just in order to run a community event that people so, you know, desperately need.
0: Yeah, because there is, of course, like the argument that they need to do something in order to keep their name alive. Mm. But then it's still they're still running at a loss, even if they make a little bit of money. So so there's no real reason to do it other than to just to know that people need it and want it. You know. Yeah, I I heard that um, heaven is now going to be all sit down. So I saw pictures of heaven, which is in the under... It's like an, a big, big, massive underground space. And yeah, in the arches in, in the middle of London. And it used to just be this massive dance floor. But now they've sectioned everything off into tables. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I can't imagine going in and having a drink in this space and not being able to dance and not yeah. being, like, bashed by someone's booty, like, yeah, swinging yeah. around as they're moving their hips and just... It changes the experience.
1: It does. And, you know, it puts into question whether these club nights are going to adapt or whether they'll just kind of wait it out. And if they can wait it out and if they mm. can survive, you know, a lot of DJs don't want to play to a room of people having dinner and sat down or in booths and, you know, having to curate a playlist that is, doesn't encourage people to jump out of their seats. Yeah. Um, because like
0: what you become a DJ because you want to make people dance. Yeah. You don't become a <laughs> DJ to like play to a room.
1: Yeah. You know the the nature of those those sweaty um, hedonistic rooms in in Manhattan is about you know there'll be one hundred and fifty strangers in a sort of and you know you might have sex with half of them Ooh, and that'll be bods. just you know that'll be a Tuesday and
0: <laughs> oh my God you know, I just cannot imagine I can't imagine that life
1: it just sounds so so wonderful and I just think oh God twenty twenty you know cut to twenty twenty and it's people kind of bobbing in their seats and being told off for it. You know, so while pubs and many public spaces were encouraged to open on the fourth of July recently, nightclubs do remain closed, um, and even outdoor festivals have been cancelled. Mm. Um, Organisers are just continuously reviewing the social distancing regulations. So, the government did announce they had a support package for the arts, uh, one point five seven billion pounds, um, which currently includes theatres, museums, cinemas. Uh, and live music venues, but failed to mention late night venues and nightclubs. Oh, so it's still man. that kind of TBC. But I feel that if any if any nights can run, it mm. would be those, you know, those DIY queer events. I yeah. think that there is a way to survive because the need is is there, and the only trouble is so many of those places were underground, mm. and they were forced underground because, you know, there wasn't necessarily you know a safe a safe place of refuge for the for the queer yeah or no
0: or one mar- would host them yeah you know like we had to do it ourselves because no one would help us
1: yeah
0: yeah yeah I was thinking so I was trying to imagine a queer night out like a night not just an evening where I wouldn't be allowed to dance and I was I went out to Dolston Superstore um, mm. which is in North London which used to be just like a club Mm. by night and kind of you go for brunch during the day so it's dual purpose but it has always been like a really tight like space so Mm. you can't you can't get past people to get to the bar without touching them yeah the toilets are horrendous (laughs) oh oh, goodness me but it wasn't going there was nice and it was okay because it normally has that sort of daytime vibe anyway Mm. but it wasn't it wasn't a night out really it wasn't the same and one of my like favorite memories of going to places like like Dalton Superstore is standing outside in the smoking area, whether or not I'm smoking and just chatting to all the queers there. And Mm. people are so nice. And it is such a, like a bonding moment between, uh, between queers of different genders and different like sexualities in a way that to be honest, you don't like, I've been to a lot of straight clubs in my life. You don't really get the same kind of bonding. Mm. Like, you do get it to an extent in like the girls' bathroom when you're like, Oh my god, you're so wonderful, like you are a goddess. <laughs> don't ever forget. But you don't get the same kind of cross gender, kind of universal, you're amazing mm. and you deserve to be happy kind of thing that I've had when I've been to queer yeah, clubs. Yeah. And that comes from being allowed to drink a lot. And then also being allowed to be quite drunk and talking in someone's face mm-hmm. or like talking to a bunch of people that you've never met before
1: i.e. the people we're not allowed to hang out with now yeah Yeah. you know you can't these you you can't make the car park graves you have to kind of maybe dance in you know you're in your circle of six that you came with and there's no opportunity to to dance with somebody new Mm. um and i think so for house music it was deliberately it was these long tracks of kind of repetitive Um, you know, bass lines and and drum beats and they would sort of, they would ebb and they would flow and they would, Mm. they would build and then there'd be, but it was this kind of idea of constant movement and like stamina Yeah. and, and, you know, it was, it was catered for, you know, a a gay, a gay body, right? Someone that is, you know, so, uh, you know, free and, you know, maybe just has that release Mm. um, that and also needs connection person didn't have at that time or didn't yeah exactly needs the connection is really like yearning for that freedom um and the expression that you just get from dancing for a long period of time mm. in a in a safe you know safe environment that yeah. is kind of set up for that and i think yeah maybe they need to have you know play less you know play less lady gaga play less madonna um if you want your night to inc- you know be inclusive and you know have a bit of you know put some for some House music on, and yeah. some like old house music, old and then music. you know maybe the crowd will naturally you know diversify a little bit,
0: yeah, yeah, and i 'm sure because I mean, as much as a lot of those songs are bangers, people sing along, mm. and so you 're kind of you 're distracted from engaging with the people next to you yeah. because you 're singing, and like that 's fine yeah it 's great to like sing, and it 's so cathartic to like just belt but If you are playing something like you said, like long house house tracks that ebb and flow and are kind Mm. of consistent, you can look around and you can see who's around you and enjoy the diversity.
1: It's about losing yourself, lose yourself to dance. It's losing (laughs) yourself in a track and in a song, and it's not worrying about, you know, am I going to know the next, am I going to know the next word? Is it going to be, you know, a club banger? It's about more, you know, Mm. the experience of being in those rooms. And I was, you know, I was reading all these accounts from from the DJs, from the Chicago DJs at the time and from the people who attended the loft parties and it just sounded great. It just yeah. sounded like exactly what you want a club night to be where, you you know, it's not about, you know, the songs and, the, you know, in in, in a 12-minute song there may be some, you know, some lines or some samples or some repetition that you might recognise but it's more about the feeling, you know, of the whole, the whole track and, and the idea, you know, that you're isolated and you're really forced to... Just you know to be comf- to be comfortable, mm. and you're forced to relax in these these long drawn out songs, and I just think you know, and yeah. if you've had a, a shower and a sauna and a and a good swim beforehand, that can only help.
0: Swim, quote unquote. Um, the I was thinking that maybe there be something there was something quite. Like meditative about sort of just being in that beat and just mm. like constantly moving being in a beat and not being distracted by by anything else and that kind of being in, it, in itself um the experience mm. and you don't get that again with like pop yeah because it, it's meant to just like keep you on high yeah. the whole time and then oh my god the disappointment you see on people's faces when the next song isn't something they know yeah you know we'll and, and they're just like it oh it well. but if you have house and you have this kind of the expectation that it, it's not going to be your fave song yeah then that's it's like a completely different experience it definitely is like the times that I've been to club nights where it's it's not necessarily just been house it's been like house and techno and stuff Mm. and they've been a it's been a completely different experience honestly to the fact that now most queer clubs I go to it's like you said Lady Gaga and and, and Kylie like non-stop because
1: the western yeah the western crowd I think
0: yeah. yeah yeah Well, you go, queer, queer go house back. music was built on the shoulders
1: of, of queer people of colour and um, in Chicago in the 70s. Yeah. And um,
0: Let's bring it back. Let's bring it right, back. Right, let's bring it back. <laughs>
1: let's, go. let's open a bathhouse. Amazing, that was so
0: cool. Thank you so much. That's Thank really you. interesting.
1: <laughs> it was good. It was good fun. It was nice listening to a load of records that I would never have found yeah. otherwise. Um, yeah, Frankie Knuckles. Uh, what a legend. So
0: cool okay um so yeah that was really really great um I think that I'm on a bit of like a a a gender exploration thing myself I know that like you for the last couple of episodes you've been talking about sort of things about about COVID things are going on in your life I, I have a feeling that a similar thing is going on for me as well so I've been looking at like gender and like queer folklore and things like that because um to me it's just I'm going through a bit of a time of like who am I like who am I in terms of other people and who am I in in this world okay probably I don't know is it a bit late at 28 to be trying to work out who absolutely I am absolutely not no okay so <laughs> maybe maybe if you get an
1: answer in the next you know
0: I'll let you know years. I don't know if there's ever <laughs> going to be an answer I just okay on a side note I don't I don't really subscribe to the idea that you ever really find yourself mm. I think it's a constant a constant journey like you evolve who you are based on like your experiences and maybe you were one thing at one point in your life but that doesn't mean you can't be that doesn't mean you have to be that forever and you don't have Mm to never be that again yeah you know like it's fluid yeah like I was a really I was really tomboyish when I was younger and then I got really femme during uni Mm because I wanted to be like everyone else Um, and then I'm like Really butch now so it's like you know i, I went back to the kind of tomboy well, those style. parts are no less part of you as well exactly exactly so um today i'm going to be talking about like native american um views of gender variants okay so there's there's A number of sort of general regions um, of tribes in North America grouped together, okay, in a way uh, as kind of ways of understanding how those tribes are similar or different to each other. Mm. Okay, so there's a thing that I learned about a, a while back that I kind of relate to this. It's called like, I think it's called like political geography. Okay. So basically, you can kind of understand how populations have moved and are close to each other in terms of like well this one moved there and then that one moved there and mm, you know a kind majority, of line based yeah. on how close how similar their societies are okay and that's like you can also follow it in terms of like languages that are similar to each other you know mm. the cl- more similar like the more yeah, likely yeah. they are to be closely related or, or, or recently moved there or, or sorry moved there in different uh, similar times anyway so you've got um you've got lots of lots of regions I'm, i'll quickly list them off um because there's the Arctic, which is like that bit of Canada that looks like it's trying to escape. Yeah. And then there's this subarctic, which is like the section just underneath it. Mm-hmm. You've got the northwest coast, which is just above like the California area. The plateau next to that. The plains takes up like all of the middle of America. There's the northeast, which is like a huge section from kind of what I would argue like near center all the way east in the north of north america and a bit of canada over the great lakes mm. and then underneath that you've got the southeast and then to the to the left of that so west of that you've got the south e- southwest um and california and the great basin which is um between the plateau and the southwest mm. and then you've got mesoamerican below that okay so briefly i'm not going to i'm not going to tell you all of them because um, as of 19th of february 2020 there was 574 <laughs> indian tribes legally recognized by the bureau of indian affairs in the united states so that's a huge amount and of course like these are these have distinct cultures yeah, distinct yeah, languages yeah. um god that's loads oh, so many <laughs> it's because you know some pe- people mostly talk about them in these kind of groupings in these yeah, regions yeah, yeah. but within them there's so much variance um so I, re- I read a few papers that mostly focused on like the plains and the west and northwest okay, okay? that's where we have the most information and the reason we have that information uh, sort of well there's a bunch of reasons but one of the big reasons we don't have a substantial information on the east and we have more on the west is because um colonizers arrived in north america in about the 17th century 1830s i think Mm. and settled on the east side first okay and then they started to drive the tribes out and, and commit genocide uh westwards okay so there was about the death toll of American in uh, American Indians, Native Americans, was oh, it's horrible. It's uh, about ninety-five million to one hundred and fourteen million Native Americans were killed during this colonization. Okay, over the years, and that's just oh, such a huge amount. So, with that, you can imagine the the volume of sort of historic knowledge, mm, cultural just knowledge, gone. just gone. Mm. Okay, and we pushed wow. pushed the tribes from the northeast into the plains. Okay, so. Um, that meant the westerly tribes were the least uh, last contacted, mm-hmm. okay? Because that was where um, some of the harshest land was, um, and people didn't want it. People in the uh, from the west didn't want it as much, and also it was further to go to get there. And in, like I said, the north. <laughs> you can have that one. You can have that one, but ugh, we didn't let them have anything. Um, and it meant that the north and, nor- uh, and east were pushed into the plains, which caused um, a sort of nomadic lifestyle. Um, in the plains, with more warring, and and the lifestyles and cultures changed quite significantly. So most mm-hmm. of what I'm going to be talking about is actually based on like northwestern and plains knowledge that we that we have from um, I think they call ethnographers, okay. so like anthropologists um, and things like that. So when the colonizers arrived, they brought with them like very intense Judeo-Christian views, and this is what like in the west, like um, west Europe and things like that, we see them as as kind of often as like the natural the norm that obviously this is the way because it's what we've always known Mm. in like current sort of history here and it must be right yeah exactly and there's no there's no reason why that like it's just it's just the predominant yeah belief at the moment okay and they it brings with it this viewpoint that gender is entirely linked in with like your genitals define your gender role in society Okay, so um, I read an amazing paper by Evelyn Blackwood called The Case for Cross Gender Females, and a couple on the, um, what are called the, I, I've been calling them Burdache in my head because it's a French word, but it, it might be Birdache because there's not an accent on the E, um, by Walter Williams and Jean Guy Goulet, I'm going to say probably butchered that but <laughs> here we go and um, there's significantly more information more information on the bird ash eight because that's the, the male mm. version um than on the cross-gender female um and there's there's probably like some good reasons for this some of them are posited that like the main elders that were addressed by the western ethnographers they spoke to men mm. the, me, the elder men in the tribe and they may not have had as much insight into the way women conduct their lives yeah. or they didn't want to talk on it because they didn't feel like they were an authority on it you know but Blackwood's article is oh, it's very good it's very good and I, I highly recommend it I'll send it to you afterwards yes, please. so I'll start with I'm going to talk about them kind of at the same time but I'll try and I'll try and keep them distinct because the the treatment of of like the cross women and the cross gender men or male and female are similar in a number of ways across a lot of tribes. Mm. Um, and obviously a lot of what I'm saying, like almost all of what I'm saying is broad strokes in, in these areas. So the Berdache is, is an old French term. It's used to describe um, what the colonizers saw as like um, girly men. Okay. Yeah, and it was it was He's also feminine. Okay. Yeah, yeah, feminine, and it was used originally as like a term for the submissive partner mm. in a gay male relationship. Okay, or like a kept boy, which okay. is it's like it's a real derogatory term, and people t- tend to, like that that phrase that term has been disbanded because it's not it's it's offensive mm. so um although it's used in a lot of research papers because that is historically what is what has been used it is it's an offensive term so people don't tend to use it yeah, as the much secondary yeah 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 exactly the submissive, yeah. and there's not i haven't found like a, a common term for cross-gender females um so um blackwood just refers to them as cross-gender female um which means um a person who was uh born and sort of treated as, as a girl a woman at birth who then started to take on male um, activities and the same for mm-hmm. Berdasher is um, a person who was born as a man or a boy and then started to have interest in in women's um activities so so it's not just through language it's through um action and yes, activity. exactly so there's also a term called two-spirit which is um, it 's actually a term that was that was coined in English in the 90s by a group of people, two predominant people in the forming of that phrase um, were non natives and they came up with it as a word not to replace the word that is used in so almost every tribe has its own word for for mm-hmm. these these but positions concept, in, yeah. in in their societies, but two spirit was kind of to me it seems like a way for um white people to understand. Okay. And but it's the it's not term. yeah it's an umbrella term it's not very accurate because it kind of implies that each each person who is cross gender has both male and female in them at the same time but it's not it's it's cross gender is being something different. Mm. You're completely different. And you're not you, you're yeah. not male you're you, not female you you are you. Mm. Okay? So um there's also people who use the term third gender. Okay? So and that that also is is useful but it it implies that then cross gender male and female are both third gender but they are different they serve different roles in society as well so there's there's no limit to the categories and and you know i I read some articles that even said that some some um native american tribes have up to 10 gender recognized and um i'm sure that that's like that's our human need to put things into boxes you know yeah. it's not it's not that there's 10 it's that there's there's a huge spectrum yeah and there's like oh maybe 10 different sort of names for things that you, people that you've met in your life mm. but um yeah so the I mean, definition of
1: distinguishing and defining yeah <laughs> exactly
0: it's like why do we have to do this but um, so the definition of personhood often in, in, in native american culture it combines your body your clothes your soul your spirit your mind speech styles names roles careers like it's like mm. so many different elements of, of who who you are as either a man or a woman and you can be a blend of, of both roles at the same time as well
1: mm.
0: in these northwestern tribes there's a much stronger there was a much stronger like uh, what's called an egalitarian structure to society do you do you know what egalitarian is no. i had to look it up <laughs> it means that like every person is equal yeah okay so um women in these tribes would traditionally do certain jobs and men would do other jobs um and socially based on the roles that you did you were a woman or you're a man so you um you either some of the more traditional female roles were to like cook and manage the household men would hunt and build the houses okay and that was just kind of like a division of labor it yeah. wasn't because they were seen as womanly things woman, or manly things yeah. yeah and and the idea was that um the idea in these kind of cultures was that um, the value uh, that women had, w- because they they contributed to society, and men couldn't exist without women, and women couldn't exist without men. It mm-hmm. wasn't it wasn't mm-hmm. that women were being carried by the men in society, and, and women in in a lot of these tribes had ownership over their own production. They yeah, created yeah. things, they made baskets, and they distributed them among the among the town town um, among their community. Mm. So they had um, their own work. Yeah, they had their own work and their own sort of footing in in this. Um, but yeah, they, they were, because of this, there were sort of traditional roles that women would play and mm-hmm. tra- traditional roles that men would play. But that was, it was a social role, okay? It wasn't like, you've got a dick, so you're going to be doing these roles and you've got a vagina so well, you're doing these roles. Um, it was like, you became a gender as you grew up. You became a woman, mm-hmm. you know? You became a man and the children Based were on like... Based the
1: tasks you were picking up or just your your own self-journey? that like your own
0: so that's it yeah basically um, a bunch of all those things so there's there's cross gender intervi- individuals were usually identified at an early age so prepubescent when they were still children they didn't mm-hmm. have a social gender yet they weren't assigned to a role and so they would identify a kind of tendency in young girls and young boys for the quote other gender jobs Mm -hmm. girls would maybe be more interested in playing with the boys and learning how to hunt or guys would uh, uh, boys would be more interested in like helping their mum cook and Mm. things like that and it isn't to say that they were solely like the division of labor wasn't strict okay so older men who could no longer hunt would help with cooking and things like that and men who just were not interested in hunting would help with cooking so and they weren't strictly cross-gender they were just not interested in that part so it's not that as soon as you showed interest in the opposite genders work you were cross-gendered because it's 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 a completely separate thing so um (laughs) yeah and there was like so some women really wanted to like be warriors and that was fine and that was a that was a perfectly legitimate role for a woman a female Mm -hmm. and who wasn't cross-gender okay so they were just they were a woman who would do for the most part the, the women's jobs but they still went out to hunt which was a man's job so yeah going back to the children they'd be observed as they grew up and their interests matured and their sort of interests were also nurtured mm. so if a girl wanted to hunt sure let's take get her out her and teach her to hunt that's yeah. fine like there's nothing wrong with that and then they'd get to a point just before puberty or just before they predicted they were going to hit puberty because <laughs> I don't think anyone knows when that's going to happen <laughs> it was a whirlwind for me but <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they'd have these kind of tests okay so um, this included presenting a child with um, basket making materials mm-hmm. or, or a bow and arrow okay in a in a circle of brush yep. and the brush would be set on fire and the kid had to run out with either the spear or the bow and arrow or the <laughs> basket making thing and that would define so if the boy chose the basket making thing so they'd be like okay so he's going to be across yeah. gender when everything
1: is on fire what do you really want
0: what do you really want and the same for the girls if they chose the bow and arrow then they would be sort of acknowledged as as cross gender so it sounds like a test but the the like the children weren't stupid They knew the implications. So it wasn't like they were being tricked into making a choice of what is more valuable. They knew that if they didn't choose anything, that was fine. And they knew that if they didn't, if they weren't sure about their cross-gender status, they could just not do anything or not take anything or choose the thing for the boy could choose Mm. the the bow and arrow and that would be fine too. And there was no kind of, there was no judgment Mm. around that. It was kind of just, we're going to give you the choice now Mm. about what happens next. Okay and what if they did there a
1: choice in yeah, yeah exactly
0: and if they did choose the cross gender path then they'd have a formal ceremony um, which took the form of a lot of different things um, sometimes it was even just that the um the boy would cook dinner for mm. his his family and they'd have a they what it, a it Yeah <laughs> what a beautiful boy um and that was kind of to acknowledge socially their chosen status okay. and then they'd also come back with a new name okay, uh, okay. and they'd often what, I don't know yeah an adult name a chosen name the old name was resented and that's I I, you know there's parallels to that with being like dead named mm, you yeah. know things like that and I thought that was really really interesting so um and that was kind of enforced you know by the
1: by the community and by the families and
0: to to have the ceremony yeah um I I think that it was just part of um initiation into adulthood mm. because so girls when they hit puberty they'd they'd be given like i think they're called like Marriage rites They'd say, "Okay, you're now old enough to marry." So there'd be mm. a kind of a kind of ceremony, a ritual. There's lots of rituals. Lots of like dreaming is very important. So sometimes, mm. actually, one of the reasons that some people may become cross gender is because they have a dream about being the other gender, mm. and that would be an Im- uh, indication from the spirit, that the great spirit, that um, they were going to be cross gender, and they sort of follow that as their path and, and sort of meaning of life. And so to kind of indicate after the ceremony that they were to be treated as their chosen gender, they they could. Wear so, uh, cross gender females could wear masculine dress, do their hair in a masculine way, and sometimes the in some some tribes I saw the the females could wear dried bears' ovaries, uh, which was a to stop them to kind of prevent protect them against conceiving, (laughs) okay. Because, uh, uh, and I thought that was quite quite interesting. Um, Nobody coming near you, nobody coming near me, and the boys would receive the chin tattoo that Ah, that females are often given Uh, all indicators that socially they should be treated as their chosen gender and not as the sort of gender they were born as or Mm -hmm. not because well gender isn't really it wasn't really something that was born in a gender gender was a role that you played in society it wasn't like something that was assigned to you yeah you know yeah so it's there was also something about there was some stuff about saying that if, if a family only had daughters, if one of their daughters was kind of more interested in, in men's roles, mm-hmm. she would be chosen to become cross gender because they would need a son to help with the right. male role. Okay, But then what, um, what happens then is that at marriage age, the women who are cross gender don't have the skills to act as a wife. Okay, so they would then be al- allowed to marry to have a wife themselves, mm. who would manage the household and the same. So the
1: role was still.
0: Yeah, it was a social yeah, role, yeah. It, well, and and they weren't considered gay. Yeah. So because they were considered gen as their gender, they were considered male uh, or cross gender. Sorry. And the same, like cross gender males would um, become a wife for other mm-hmm. men in the in um, in the tribe. Um, they weren't expected to conceive, so it wasn't it wasn't about like role playing a different gender. You mm-hmm. were completely you're separate. You're a completely yeah. separate person, um, and you're not. You that didn't mean that you weren't necessarily going to raise children because divorce wasn't necessarily um, difficult mm-hmm. in in uh, Native American culture. You could divorce and remarry, and some marriages would bring children with them. And there's also so in some places, if you, if a pregnant woman has sex with a new person, mm-hmm. that unborn child takes on the fatherhood, takes, takes on the lineage of the new partner, if that makes sense. Okay. So if a pregnant woman marries a cross-gender female and has sex with them, then that baby is theirs. Okay. Yeah? And they raise the children. They often also were given like adopt, uh, orphaned mm-hmm. or unwanted mm-hmm. children to raise cause you know, perfectly, um, functional family. No, yeah so Mm -hmm. like I said they weren't considered lesbians um cross-gender females and cross-gender males were not considered gay men or homosexuals because your gender is is a social thing not your genitals but there are descriptions in some tribes of things that are basically lesbian sex sex that could only really happen between two sort of anatomical females or like I think some people use the physiological females but I don't know if that's necessarily Mm -hmm. the right term either but um it's all, it's all just a, we're nice all just switch. on a spectrum in lots of different ways but yeah. um, it, it basically acknowledges that cross gender individuals are not simply role playing mm-hmm. you know you're not trying to be the other sex you are just trying to be you yeah they also you know cross being cross gender came with came with like Um, reverence you know they were considered as being good mediators between the sexes and also like having wisdom and additional skills and I think because they weren't Mm -hmm. oppressed like their ability to to hone certain skills they were particularly good like um artists I want to say and and those contributions to society were still valuable which meant that society continued to function with Mm -hmm. them because they were accepted that's great yeah oh my god it sounds like a utopia (laughs) um And there was even, like, important myths that were told to, to, like, um, about, you know, people who'd interfered with cross-gender people trying to make them wear the clothing of their, like, born Mm -hmm. sex and how that uh, brought revenge from the spirits and things like that and being like, just don't, just don't mess with them because it's not, like, just let them be kind of thing. Um, And that's, you know, whatever they're doing to make, to feel happy is, is, that's the whole thing. Yeah. Um, But sadly with the influx and influence of western culture it did take like quite a turn like we said huge huge amounts of native american people were slaughtered in the genocide they became a but there also became like a heavy demand for furs okay so in the plains particularly the men who were uh, successful hunters needed more wives to um tan the hides Mm. that they would then sell so that meant that women became a commodity okay and which led to pressure of women to remain in a female role Mm. um and the acquisition of wealth and status by those men led to an imbalance between the genders from the egalitarian um, culture that had persisted previously, mm. meaning that we it more it started to more closely reflect the, the the Western culture of like the submissive lesser female. Yeah, yeah. It's capitalism. Oh man, it's fucking capitalism ruining everything. So as a they result, it good. Oh. Yeah. Um, as a result of increasing pressure. Um, from like western views so um colonizers came in and they sneered and they like they they ridiculed the cross-gender individuals and more and more the native americans beliefs and values were stripped from them and there Mm -hmm. was even sort of enforced schooling programs where some native american children were taken a lot like a lot of them but certain ones Mm -hmm. were taken from their families and put into western schools which then stripped them of their like beliefs and heritage and it started to prevail, prevail this this kind of belief that children need a stable home, and cross gender people were not accepted mm. as like stable parents and not acceptable. And so um, it all it all started to fall apart. And the the by the it was by the mid nineteenth century the cross gender female particularly um, in one article I saw was gone. After the nineteenth century, the mm. last one um, was born and gone. Mm. So the last cross gender female among the Mojave, um, who was called. Sahawisa um, was born in the middle of the 19th century Mm -hmm. and she had a beautiful wife um, but you know because of the changing views of women as a commodity men desired um, her wife and they mocked her saying she was inadequate sexually and that her wife was a fool for choosing her Mm -hmm. and um, she was eventually raped by some men who wanted to take her wife away from her and she abandoned her cross-gender life because of the ridicule that Mm -hmm. she had and even though she abandoned it she was later killed for being a witch um which is just another way of saying like it's another form of of um control over women Mm. you know um of being like saying that men have sole access not sole control and sole rights to Mm -hmm. a woman's Mm -hmm. sexuality and that she can't enjoy having sex with a woman because it's not the same as being with a real man, they called her not Mm. a real man and Mm. and, um, it led to this this horrible sort of downfall, this horrible um, turn in her life where she had to abandon um, what she'd really felt she was but (laughs) yeah
1: and then was still murdered
0: yeah, and then was still murdered anyway, even though she gave it up. And she it was like, sense "Fine, sense. I've done what you wanted." Um, but that was just one one of many quite sad examples of mm. that I saw. But that being said, you know, in my research, I was looking um, looking around it. I started off looking at Two Spirit, and then sort of found more. The more I dug, the more I realized that like Two Spirit is such a, like a um, an umbrella term. It, it's also a modern term, and mm-hmm. it doesn't really reflect the, the sort of depth of what it is to be cross gender. Um, and I've seen, though, regardless of that, I've seen a lot of like Native American LGBT organizations reclaiming that heritage using the Two Spirit term as an umbrella term, yeah. which is really cool. And being like, you know, I'm I'm Two Spirit and proud. And lots of the posters, which is um, really cool, because because it is an umbrella term. And it's also it's it's more accessible than using like the the wink day mm. term, mm. which you know, if you said that to a lot of people, they, they don't know that that means across a, a, yeah. a, a cross gender person. If you take say Two Spirit, that kind of does. It is slightly more recognised. It's in, you know, the Miseducation of pa- Cameron Post. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. One of one of her friends that she meets at the conversion camp is a, a Native American man who's a boy who's been put there yeah. because he felt he was too spirit.
1: Yeah.
0: I want. I did. I did want to finish on on quite a nice quote. You mm. know, after that horrible ending. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um so there's a Lakota shaman called Lame Deer who said, "The Great Spirit made them this way, and we accept them as that. The man is what nature." Or his dreams make him. We accept him for what he wants to be, and that's up to him. Which mm-hmm. I thought was lovely because it's it's yeah, it's a socialised thing. It's not it's not necessarily inborn.
1: Yeah, as well. Sort of Learned learnt behaviour.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, part it's, of growth I guess. yeah and I guess like it's as well it's growth. it's maybe maybe it's not learned behavior maybe it's just absurd you know you don't I don't feel that I had necessarily much of a personality when I was a child yeah. and as I worked out who I was yeah, I tried more things yeah I was just a child I was trying to understand the world in the confines of, of where I grew up and who I grew up with and as I explored that world I became more aware of what I what I wanted to be And Mm -hmm. so I've made choices now that that take me far from the little girl that I used to be. And that doesn't mean that I've I've made a it doesn't mean I'm I'm distancing myself from my nature. It just means that maybe I'm finding my nature. Or maybe mm-hmm. I'm choosing the parts of my nature that I want to be, you know. I could easily argue that, that being angry and violent is a nature, but actually that's a, a result of, of some things that um, a person learns when they're young. Yeah. And you can choose to make changes in your life to step away from the anger. Mm. And that is a choice, but it is also, it's still you. Yeah. You know, it's still you because you, you know what will make you happy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And maybe traditionally you would be told to go out and hunt. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you have a lot of anger.
0: Here's a here's a spear and go go hunt. Exactly, <laughs> go go channel go that into some something. Dinner. And oh. I just, oh my god, it was it is such an amazing, hugely rich and vibrant yeah, culture yeah, yeah. around like gender variance and just being like whoever you are, that's fine. Yeah, and it wasn't just that like cross gender men didn't do only women's jobs. Yeah. They just did they did some of them and they like would wear dresses and and maybe they would wear dresses. They may not and they'd do whatever made them happy, what they were interested in. In order to
1: function as the best version of their human Yes, the best version
0: of themselves. And equally like being the best version of yourself makes you the most productive member of a society. Yeah, if
1: we all stopped worrying about (laughs) are you a man or a woman? Yeah. And just been like, this person can cook the best you know the best meal yeah exactly (laughs) the whole family and like
0: it's okay to to like have those those Mm -hmm. discussions internally or like you know with your friends if you if you are worrying about like am i a man or a woman but it's not for anybody else to tell you yeah that's the thing and that's like kind of the 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 kernel here the, the 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 center of it is that your gender is not for anybody else to tell you it's for you to decide or to work out who you are and who you want to be because mm. who you are right now doesn't necessarily mean who you're going to be and yeah who you're going to be and, and you can work that out and that's fine <laughs>
1: yeah yeah it was interesting what you said about um latching on to previous maybe you know slurs and and um, you know phrases and names that were maybe seen as derogatory and reclaiming them and you know even if um, two spirits is a kind of Western umbrella term. Like mm. to kind of to reclaim that and um and kind of wear it as a you know badge of honor is is yeah. really interesting actually. Yeah, um, they were talking about that in in the Pride movie that we uh, that we. Oh saw. yeah,
0: about because they they were, they were called perverts. Yeah, so they started putting up posters like perverts for like minors or something like that. And it's yeah. like if you're going to call me that, then. Fine, I'm going to call me that. And then what are you going to call me? Because that's the word you know. That's the word that you associate with us. So
1: if that's already on your the front page of a newspaper, I'm going to go with that. Yeah, in the same way that queer used to be very much a, yeah. a slur and, and still is, mm. you know, seen as a derogatory term. But now if you use the word queer as an umbrella term, people sort of, they know what you mean. Yeah. And they they get what you mean without having all the, all the, the detail that kind of goes with it. It's yeah. very... Quick kind of signposting, yeah, and
0: I think the same with like two spirit and, and queer is like I have some friends that use the term queer because they don't want to have to go into additional detail, mm. so they say I'm yeah. queer without that, and and people kind of just no further questions, Your Honor, yeah, no, <laughs> no, th- no further questions. Um, you know, you can say I'm queer, and then if you want to have a conversation with that person later mm. on about like how are you queer like that's up to you but you said like all you need to know is that i am in some way queer
1: yeah
0: um and it's not really your place to ask and um it's definitely not your place to ask about genitals you know claiming the the term two-spirit even though it's it's not correct it's also a way to help other people understand you so it's about building on that i guess like yes and yeah yes and (laughs) yes and everyone (laughs) yes but then there is more. I am a lesbian sometimes, <laughs> and also <laughs> exactly. And you know, when people say, you know, are you a boy or a girl? No,
1: yeah.
0: And you are like, okay, that's yeah, okay. But if you say, are you a boy or a girl? I you don't. Yeah, understand. but because like, you know, you don't you don't shut yes. people down. And this other, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: total, yeah, total brain fuck that you. Yeah,
0: and know I, know especially when you are talking to, uh, well, I, I was going to actually come back to the fact that, like, two spirit is an English term well it, it's trying to be inclusive of all Native American tribes to be like I we we understand that you all have this kind of there's there's this complexity mm. and we want to acknowledge the complexity yeah. across the board yeah, yeah, yeah. that is that is more complex and more interesting than yeah, just being yeah cis and straight because it's it's a completely separate thing and really like i i highly encourage people to, to sort of have a look i like, go on to like google scholar and just type in like native american gender and it is amazing what, what comes up it's incredible mm. but if you look at like the research articles they're they're really good and really yeah, people who
1: have bothered to go into the
0: detail yeah. and know their shit yeah definitely oh, yeah, that's great cool. thank you no problem all right thank you very much for listening you. Uh, see you next time. yeah see you next time bye bye